Hi, and welcome to Sex with Todo Eso, sex ed for the Latinx millennial parent. Join me and my co-host Stephanie as we tackle the topics of parenting and sexual health in our community while breaking cycles and building relationships in our families. This is the third and last episode of our three-episode series on puberty, universally acknowledged as the most awkward stage in life and might be the most awkward conversation we'll have with our kids. We are continuing the discussion with the social changes that happen during this stage and how parents can navigate the tricky terrain that is teenage relationships. Embrace the awkwardness, folks. Have a listen. Hey, everyone. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sassy. Welcome to Sexo y Todo Eso, Sex Ed for the Latinx Millennial Parent. Um, and welcome back, everyone. If you're joining us for the first time, we're very happy you're here. And we hope you go back and listen to the other episodes and check out our platicas. Um, welcome to our three-part series on puberty. So a small recap, we are breaking up the series or we broke up the series into three areas that undergo major changes during puberty, physical changes, emotional changes, and social changes. Um, our last episode focused on the emotional changes of puberty. These feelings and emotions can be further complicated by new and transitioning social relationships during this time as well. So today uh, we're continuing with episode three of our series. So we're talking besties, boyfriends, girlfriends, and the shifting parent-child dynamic. So fun stuff all around. Um, to get started, I want to make sure everyone's on the same page. So let's talk a little bit about what we mean when we say puberty. Um, and if you want kind of like a more in-detail um, discussion about this time or this stage in life, you can visit our other puberty episodes, especially the first one. Um, but puberty basically is a stage in life where there's a huge amount of change, physical, emotional, social, um, and it's happening over a period of time. Um, so all of this starts happening around the ages of 8 to 14. Um, for some, it can happen a little sooner. For others, a little later. So that's why it's so important to start the conversations early on um, before you or your child are blindsided by something that maybe you thought you had more time to prepare for. Um, and there's so much more to puberty than periods and changing voices and the stuff we usually see and hear about um, from other adults or maybe on TV or movies. And we really want folks to think of all the transitions and changes that are going on during this time um, in order to get a whole and clear picture of the reasons behind some of adolescent behavior. Yeah, definitely. And that's why we chose to do a three-episode series. We started off with the more obvious um, with physical changes of puberty and then Our second episode dealt with emotional. And so now we're diving deep into the social changes that happen during puberty. And so we've talked about how puberty doesn't happen all at once. And this means that every teen going through puberty is at a different stage developmentally. Um, as they traverse puberty, you'll find that they might actually start gradually start pulling away. Um, they might start sharing less about their lives with you uh, and even make choices without you. And so this can be hurtful and scary, but ultimately it's also normal and healthy and it's what's supposed to happen. They're becoming independent and our responsibility is to be there when they need us and to let them know that. And so one of the aspects of puberty that doesn't get as much attention or any attention in some cases is the social aspect and the changes that come with puberty. It's often overlooked or shrugged off as just, you know, what teens do or how they are now. Uh, sometimes social changes are talked about as peer pressure or bullying. 
Whatever the case, understanding the social changes that come with puberty and the role that they play in sexual health health will help us better equip our teens and young people in their sexual decision making. Yeah, so um, during the stage, during puberty, uh, teens might become more interested in other people um, socially more than they are being with their parents. And specifically, they might be interested in others romantically, so as more than friends. Um, And these relationships are going to start holding higher importance and higher influence um, over their um, thoughts, their decisions um, as well. So what do we mean when we talk about social relationships? Um, When we say social relationships, we mean relationships with their peers, with their friends, um, their groups or circles um, that they're part of, and maybe even how uh, the friend groups that they're not a part of might influence them at this stage, Um, and even partners if they've started dating. So as we mentioned in other episodes, um, teens and young people are beginning to form their identity, and they're seeking acceptance and belonging. So a lot of teens and young people start to care a lot about what their friends, peers, um, and other people that surround them uh, think about them. And uh, because of this shift, there's more room for peer pressure, for bullying, and for conflict with parents and other adults. And so how many of us have heard the saying, if your friend jumps off the bridge, are you going to jump off the bridge too? Um, And this is something we hear from parents and parents adults time and time again. Uh, we heard it from our parents. I, I'm sh- I can definitely say I heard it from my parents. Um, we've heard it from our parent, the parents that we worked with in our, you know, parent workshops. Um, and even the students in our groups would tell us that that's something that their parents would say. Um, so to some extent, um, there rings some truth to that saying. Uh, And if you've caught yourself saying this to your child or your teen, uh, chances are that they probably would jump off that bridge. Um, And it's not because (laughs) they'll blindly follow somebody, but it's because, you know, it's especially true if they don't have the support and skills that they need to navigate uh, peer pressure and peer influence. So teens deal with different forms of peer pressure, So there's indirect and direct peer pressure. So indirect peer pressure um, is what a person sees or what they hear or what they even perceive other teens are doing. And so this may then cause them to behave a certain way. And we saw this a lot when we did our student groups. Um, You know, when we would ask them, like, how many or what percentage do you think uh, of teens are having sex or um, what percentage of teens are, you know, engaging in drinking or smoking, uh, whatever behavior, right? And most of the time, students perceive that um, more teens or people their age were engaging in these behaviors than in reality, right? And so they also spoke about how this made them feel like they had to engage in certain behaviors because everyone else was doing them, or it seemed like everyone else was doing them. Uh, But, you know, as far as sexual behaviors, the percentage of teens and young people engaging in those behaviors is a lot lower than uh, what even adults might perceive. Um, And so indirect 
Peer pressure can also be subtle, like your teen may start wearing different clothing, or they might start liking different hobbies, bands, music, um, whatever the case, based on an eagerness to fit in. Um, and in contrast, direct pressure um, is just someone asking or sometimes forcing a person or another person to do something, right? And this could look like sexual advances, being handed a beer at a party, or just being egged on by friends or partner. Yeah, and um, peer pressure can oftentimes kind of like in the more extreme forms manifest in the form of bullying. So um, the strong desire to belong or fear of not being accepted by their peers could um, cause some teens to make fun of others or intimidate others or create environments where they might cause harm. Um, so in our work with middle schoolers and high school students, this could this came up a lot in conversation. So um, things would come up like slut shaming or sexual harassment, catfishing, um, sharing nudes without consent through social media or texting. And we will cover um, some of this stuff in more detail in future topics or in future episodes. Um, but we don't ever want to think of our teens and young ones as bullies, but even if they don't perpetrate the behavior, um, sometimes they can, um, create kind of like an environment where this behavior is accepted, accepted, um, by just being bystanders or not, um, intervening when they see something like this happening. Um, and by intervening, we don't mean like jumping in and like physically defending someone or verbally defending someone, but even, um, the action could be as simple as going to an adult or going to get an adult or telling their parents or someone that they trust at school um, that something is going on. Um, and with bullying, um, with a lot of the students we talked about, it would be kind of like minimized as, oh, you know, they're just poking fun or they're just having fun or it's just, you know, um, teasing. And we like to bring up that teasing and bullying are two very different things. So yes, teasing can be fun and it can be engaged in and create, you know, bond and among friends and things like that. And that's fine. But in that instance, both people are enjoying the behavior of teasing, right? Of um, joking around with each other when one person is being um, harmed and is obviously not enjoying the behavior. That's when it becomes bullying. Um, so there definitely is a difference um, that is important to talk to your young person about. Um, another thing that happens a lot is this shift in the kind of like parent-child relationship. So as teens and young people start to exert their independence and start to hang out with their friends or with their partners um, more than they do with their parents or other adults, um, it can feel like they're rebelling against us, especially when they start adopting language or behaviors or um, points of view that um, didn't come from us, right? So with all of these changes um, that the teen is going through, it can be hard to keep track of what's in, who their crush is this month, what their curfew should be, just because that communication that might have been um, very present and very open is shifting and it's not that way anymore. So um, this shift um, that's happening, it's not just happening for the young person. It's also happening for the parent. It's happening for us as well. So we're having to learn to adapt um, to this new kind of relationship dynamic. 
and kind of like reorganize our responsibilities and um, how we think about our child and our relationship with our child. So we're witnessing um, this person, right, growing up to be eventually an adult, eventually on equal footing with us, um, which can be really hard to admit and to acknowledge after so much time um, that we spend having the authority and the power in that relationship. So with this shift, there's definitely going to be conflict and um, it might get intense and that's normal as long as we go back to those foundations of um, communication and just letting our young person know that, you know, even though you might not be communicating with me as much as I'd like or as much as we used to, maybe the relationship might not feel as close, letting them know that you are still there no matter what um, can be so, so helpful. Yeah, definitely. And I think in our culture and the Latinx culture, it can be extremely difficult to start doing this, right? To start Mm -hmm. seeing your child as your equal, to start, you know, giving them more power so that there's, you know, this more egalitarian perspective. Um, There's more, uh, or there's shared power, right, in the relationship. Um, I think traditionally Latinx cultures, you know, there's a very much separation of your, your elders and the young people. Um, and you don't ever cross cross that line, right? And so, you know, when you're starting um, to unlearn that and, and give your child more power, um, sometimes you can receive backlash, right, from your own family. Um, mm, definitely. And your, parenting, your parenting can... Uh, be judged and and shamed and, um, and whatnot uh, because you're taking this different approach. No, yeah, I was going to say, and definitely it's important to trust the foundation that we lay, right? Especially if we began this journey since our kids are, are young, um, you know, laying this foundation of trust and of um, independence. Um, I think trusting that, you know, um, can be... Uh, a sense of or can give us a sense of kind of like peace and in the transition yeah definitely trusting the process um, yes <laughs> so how do we handle these social changes with our own kids and family um and first of all i just want to say give yourself grace you know being a trusting and supportive parent or caring adult um is no easy feat especially you know with all the things that teens have to go through um, with social media and all these different influences. Uh, We tend to often focus too much on what we're doing wrong uh, that we forget about the things that we get right. So give yourself a pat on the back, um, especially if you're taking the time to listen to our podcast, to learn and unlearn and, um, you know, do better. So yeah. Congratulate yourself. You're doing awesome. Um, Each family has their own set of rules, boundaries, and expectations. And so now that your child is becoming a teen, some of those household rules may still apply, but some rules you had for them as a child might not work um, now that they are a teen. Um, For example, you know, as a child, maybe they didn't have a cell phone. Right. And so now that they are a teen, now they have a cell phone. And so you got to work around that. Maybe screen time looks differently now that they have more access to a cell phone. 
So this is a good opportunity to sit down with your teen to lay out those boundaries and expectations together. And by doing this, by developing new boundaries and expectations together, you're keeping the line of communication open and modeling mutual respect. Um, And this also just allows your teen to understand the boundaries and expectations that are set, as well as um, it helps them understand the consequences uh, when those boundaries or expectations are not met or broken. Yeah, and like Stephanie mentioned, like each family has their own set of core values and beliefs that um, you base, you know, all of these boundaries and expectations on. and that your teen is going to is going to look to to guide their behavior as well. So it's really important to reflect on what they mean, why your family has them, um, and what that means for your teen's future. So by examining these family's core values and beliefs, um, and being mindful of them, your teen's going to be able to recognize uh, reactions and feelings when something that they do or something that they're maybe being asked to do might go against them. Um, so learning to trust their gut is key when they're in these difficult situations. Um, they could even fall back on these um, values as an excuse when they find themselves in a situation that uh, might be difficult. So, you know, I'm not ready to have sex. It goes against my be- beliefs or my values um, or, you know, I'm not ready to, you know, whatever my parents is don't allow it, you know. So falling back on these conversations that they've had with you. Um, can be really helpful. And it also gives them a language to set their own boundaries. Um, And as they grow, um, like we mentioned, this independence is going on and they might start to develop their own set of values and beliefs um, that are unique to them as they get older. Um, I mean, I'm not um, vain enough to believe that I am the absolute... (laughs) say and like what is right or wrong, um, I'm sure I'm going to mess up at some point or um, I don't know everything there is to know about everything, right? So I do think that adults need to keep an open mind when it comes to young people and really listen to what they have to say, take on their point of view, use our empathy um, to see where they're coming from because we might have something to learn from them as well. Um, So encouraging their interests and if we can allow for our extracurricular activities to expand their social circles, expose them to different values, belief systems, different types of people that might end up um, making them adhere more to their own beliefs. Maybe they're by doing that, they're more um, likely to say, oh, yeah, you know, this is definitely what I want. Or maybe they'll completely change their mind and adopt new opinions and thoughts. Um, and being open to those conversations is key. Yeah, definitely. And exposing them to, you know, different people and communities and values and beliefs, it also helps them practice respect for others, right? Um, So even if they don't all agree um, with certain values or, or beliefs, you know, there's still that, you know, mutual understanding that we're going to respect each other, right? And so I really like that you you know, us as adults, like we have a lot to learn from young people. And I think that's, that's this perspective that is almost frowned upon, I think, sometimes in, in Latinx culture, right? Like, I think we think of our elders as wise, uh, which they definitely are, right? Um, they can give us a lot of guidance, but, you know, there is some 
value in learning from from our young people and and giving them leadership and responsibility and um you know that power um to let us learn in one one way in which a yeah one way in which it came up a lot um with the parents that we worked with was um when talking about uh, gender and sexuality. So I know a lot of the parents that we talked to, that was something that they really took away from their conversations with their kids, right? Um, Learning about even just, you know, terms and what words mean and um, can be really helpful. And I felt really impacted a lot of the parents we worked with. Um, They gained all this knowledge from their own children. Yeah, definitely. And it was was a change of scenery because I think, you know, it, a lot of the students that we worked with, you know, they would mention like, oh, my parents, like, they say like, oh, this generation, esta, esta generación, right? Like, um, so it was refreshing to see, you mm-hmm. know, from the parents' perspective, how much they learned from their children um, about sexual health and, and these terms. And, um, and it, it didn't stop there, right? It, it, they learned all sorts of things, especially like with social media. And, um, and so, yeah, I think there's value in learning from our young people for sure. And so one last thing to consider as your teen experiences, social changes during puberty is about dating relationships. So during adolescence, it's important to encourage um, casual relationships at this age instead of serious dating. Um, And this can be especially true for younger teens, um, like middle school students or middle school age um, people. Uh, It might be better to encourage them to go out in larger groups, you know, with um, mixed gender or mixed sexes um, instead of serious dating. Um, serious relationships at this age could be a little too much to handle emotionally and socially. So like we've mentioned in our previous episodes, age gaps really do make a difference, um, especially when they're more than two years apart. Um, Power dynamics come into play and serious dating relationships at this age could create expectations for behaviors that teens may not be ready for. Yeah, definitely. And I was going to direct people back to our first um, puberty episode. Um, There's a lot of really great stuff in there about um, when to start having these conversations and when to start bringing it up with your, with your kids as well. Um, So to get some more of that, those specifics on that, on actually having these conversations, um, you should check that episode out. Yeah, definitely. And, And one thing that also just came to mind was from you know, the curriculum that we used to use, Ceci, uh, families talking together, um, when you're talking with your teens, you want to talk social, but think health. You know, when we think of sexual health uh, for our teens, like, that's, that's where our mind goes, right? Like preventing pregnancy, preventing STIs, right? Um, and preventing, you know, any type of dating violence, right? The health outcomes, that's what our mind goes to and that's what you know I think that's what we communicate to the young people most of the time but in reality you know the reasons why teens have sex 
a lot of them are these social reasons, right? Like, oh, like I'm in a relationship, you know, my boyfriend or girlfriend or partner wants to, you know, my my besties are doing it, right? Everyone's doing it. That, yeah, like those perceived kind of like things you were talking about earlier. Yeah, and so it's it's important, you know, when you're talking to your teen about this, about sexual health, um, that you keep in mind those social aspects because more likely than not, that's the underlying reason uh, behind their sexual decision-making. And so when we don't consider the social aspect, uh, we're leaving a big gap in our conversations with young people. Um, that is our last piece of our social changes during puberty. Um I know this episode was pretty short, but, um, you know, it's it's that last piece of, of puberty and, you know, they all come together. So thank you for staying with us. And we hope you enjoyed this last episode of our three part series on puberty. Follow us on Instagram at Sexo where you can stay up to date on what's going on with us. Check out our stories to ask all your sex questions and DM us about y'all's experiences with sex men. We'd love to hear from you. If you like what we have to say, please subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss another episode. And remember, make good choices. Adios. <laughs>